Good morning. I don't know how you're feeling about the whole easing down of lockdown. The easing back into normal life, which isn't normal life, which is the new normal, and which as yet none of us really can identify. One thing I've discovered about myself over lockdown is that I am not like the rest of you in church. I do not enjoy growing my own vegetables in the garden. And last week, to be honest, I was nearly overwhelmed by the sheer amount of radishes that were around and in my house. Now, some of you are young and innocent and you don't even know what a radish is. So I've brought a very exciting visual aid with me. This is a radish, a small root vegetable. You can slice them up and put them in salad. They're very easy to grow. And during lockdown, I made the rash decision of sowing half a packet of seeds in my vegetable patch. And now I'm just overwhelmed with radishes. Have you ever had a craving for a radish? I'd think not. I can't imagine that anyone, anywhere, has ever sat up and said, do you know what? I really fancy a radish and there's a reason for that. I don't mind them, but I'm sure in any given year, I haven't eaten more than 10 of them. And here, now I am coming down with radishes in ever increasing numbers. Now I know many of you are avid garden, gardeners, expert gardeners, and please don't give me advice on how to grow vegetables. I've decided I'm very happy getting them from the supermarket. Please don't ask me for the radishes because most of them are by now big and bad and ugly, much bigger than this, and past their best. Don't send me recipes how to use 100 radishes, radishes, the things that are easy to grow but hard to say. Don't send me recipes. I'm finished with radishes. They are dead to me. I've had a harvest. I've had a plentiful harvest, but of rather insignificant things. And indeed, over lockdown, I have looked at things I used to do, things that made a considerable um, demand on my time and my energy. And when it came to the bit and I couldn't do them, I discovered it didn't really matter. They were relatively insignificant to me and to others. They were like the radishes in my life. And as lockdown lifts, or we hope it lifts, I want to think more carefully about the things I am sowing in my life. It seems to me that because things are a bit uncertain and we're not sure what life will look like over the coming months, it can be challenging to look ahead. I get the sense that we can become a bit weary, a bit lethargic, or maybe that's just me. Maybe that's what happens when you eat too many radishes. But there's a certain momentum and a particular dynamic when we meet together as a church family. And we've been missing that. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, the Bible describes us as living stones being built into a building together. It describes how we fit together, how we rest on each other, how we support each other, how we hold each other in place, how we call each other on and call each other up. And being a living stone necessarily involves interacting with the people around, around you and sharing a certain part of your life. And when we've had to stay apart from our brothers and sisters, it's weird, it's different. It's good to be part of a group, and even more so when that group has a passion for Jesus and a love for their community. 
it's good to be part of a crowd that meets together to worship, um, to share communion, to hear God's word. But over the recent months, we have had to step out of that environment for a time. We can't hide in the crowd. We can't hide behind other Christians. And lockdown has prompted some questions. And I don't mean the ones like, why can't I always wear my pajamas to church? Or what selection of nice snacks will really help you through a good sermon? Perhaps you found lockdown to be a relatively dry place, spiritually speaking, and find yourself wondering about the vibrancy of your relationship with the Lord. You might ask, does my strength come from him or do I lean usually on others? Do I hear his voice or do I just follow the crowd? Do I feed on his word or do I live off scraps from other Christians? Where's my vision gone? Where's my faith gone? Am I altogether a lost cause? Last week I read John 4 and I was very impacted by one verse in particular. And this is the story of the Samaritan woman who met Jesus at the well. And I would like to read just part of that story. It's John 4, verse 5 to 18. Eventually he, that's Jesus, came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. I'm going to leave the story there. It continues to tell how, Jesus, how the, um, this woman had her life transformed. And she goes back into her town and spreads the news of what Jesus did for her. And many people of the town come to faith in Jesus. But it was verse 10 that jumped off the page as I read this passage. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. 
As I read that verse, the analytical part of my brain told me that this was Jesus speaking to an unbeliever. And after all, I am a believer. I know the gift of God. I know Jesus. I've drunk from this living water. However, my spirit actually leapt at these words. And I started to wonder, how much do I miss out on? By failing to grasp more than the basics of this great salvation. How is my life rendered sometimes small and mundane? By the fact that I am satisfied with a superficial knowledge of Jesus and not in acquaintance with this wonderful Saviour. And I heard the invitation of Jesus to look again with fresh eyes, to come and explore and discover afresh what it means to be a child of God. Because I can imagine that in a million years' time, we will still be on this ultimate adventure of getting to know him. In a million years' time, we will still be uncovering the riches of the salvation. And I feel this is the invitation this morning to come, or maybe I should say come again, to look at what he has given us and who he is to us and in us. This salvation is a free gift, but unwrapping the gift, growing in an understanding and revelation of the gift is a lifelong process. I felt that this morning the invitation comes particularly to those of us who are weary and then to those of us who are actually stuck, maybe stuck in our circumstances. The story we read is a story about a woman who encountered Jesus for the first time and she was just going about her everyday life, her normal day, doing her chores and she had no idea that she was about to have a conversation with the one who actually created her. And I love the fact that Jesus orchestrated this meeting, that he waited for her. And similarly, he often meets us unexpectedly in our ordinary daily lives and brings something life-changing. We remember that he pursued us before we pursued him. And this is great news if you're feeling weary and lacking vision and really don't know how to proceed. In Luke 19, verse 10, it says, Son of man came to seek and to save those that are lost. And we recognize this picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, looking for the lost sheep, um, lifting the sheep onto his shoulders, caring and tending for it, because that's how we came to faith. He sought us out before we even thought about him and when we didn't know him and when we were, we were full of sin and lost. And he doesn't change after we are saved. He doesn't transform from being the good shepherd into the stern, disapproving teacher who sighs in disappointment when he looks at the mess we find ourselves in yet again. So if we find ourselves feeling a bit lost this morning, a bit disengaged, reluctant to look up and look forward, he is still the good shepherd. He still comes after us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't ignore us. We are not left behind. And I hear him saying this morning, come on, if you only knew the gift that God had for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. It's amazing to realise whom Jesus originally spoke these words to. This woman had had five husbands and we don't know any more than that. We don't know what happened. Maybe some of them had died. Um, maybe some of them had divorced her. 
At that time, it was very easy for a man to divorce his wife, though a wife wasn't allowed to divorce her husband. In any case, the Samaritan woman had probably suffered greatly, lost and abandonment. To make matters worse, she was now living with a man who wasn't her husband. We can assume her reputation was in tatters and maybe she had lost the respect of her community and maybe even her self-respect. And there was nothing she could do to fix the situation. As far as I know, it was traditional for the women to go in groups to the well to collect water, probably for their own protection. But this woman came alone. She didn't fit in. She was an outsider. Her history probably followed her about like a bad smell and people didn't want to associate with her. Maybe it's a step too far to suggest that any dreams and hope, hopes for a happy, fulfilling life had long gone. We don't know, but you don't go through so much hurt, rejection and shame without maybe shutting down a bit or without hardening yourself against what life might throw at you next. And it was to this woman, it was to this Samaritan woman, to this sinful Samaritan woman that Jesus said, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. I had a strong sense that some of us can hardly listening to can hardly listen to these words. We've been here before. We have heard the invitation of Jesus to come and ask for living water. But we, like the Samaritan woman, find ourselves entangled by things from the past, things we can never get away from. Perhaps you've a history that you just can't avoid. Something happened that changed your life and you have to live with the consequences. Maybe it was your own fault or maybe it was something that someone else did to you. But things like this can wear us down, permanently casting a shadow over our present and our future. Perhaps you have a reputation that you can't shake off. You messed up in the past and people remember it and they keep you at arm's length. They make assumptions about you and you have no way of changing their opinions. Perhaps you feel you never quite fit in. Even in our church community, you feel different and you're tired of pretending to be someone you're not. Perhaps you're simply disappointed in yourself and you suspect that God is disappointed in you as well. Your life does not look what you thought it might look like. You've had to abandon some of your dreams and hopes and life is now punctuated by one big sigh of resignation. If you struggle with really weighty issues that always trip you up and hold you back, if you've tried and failed many times to move on from whatever it is in the past, you do need specialist help. And Jesus specialises in setting captives free. You see, this woman's problems were massive to her, but they weren't even challenging to Jesus. He paid a very big price, the ultimate price, not to just forgive her sin, but to actually break the power of that sin. And there's no mistake, there's no sin, there's no depth of depravity that poses a challenge to the blood and the love of Jesus. There's nothing he can't save us from. There's nothing he can't set us free from. 
Jesus doesn't go back and change the past. He doesn't wipe out your history as he did, like he didn't do for this woman, but he forgives and cleanses us and absolutely and completely sets us free from the chains and bondage of the past. As it says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. You see, guilt, condemnation and shame have no right to remain in the life of a Christian. Romans 8 verse 1 says, So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And as I read that verse, if you're thinking, well, actually, that didn't happen for me. I still live under the power of sin. If you're thinking, I still live with the shame and condemnation of what happened in the past. I wonder, could this be the very point of those words of Jesus we keep returning to? If you only knew the gift of God. And sometimes we simply don't know, we simply don't realise in truth what he has done for us. And then we live without what he has already provided for us. You've heard the saying that says, what you don't know won't hurt you. That's not in the Bible. Rather, God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The Bible doesn't say that the truth will set you free. John 8 verse 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is the truth that you know that will set you free. God is not like a type of Mary Poppins who waves his hand and everything in our lives dances back into place all nice and tidy. Nor do we live in a Disney movie where an ugly toad becomes a handsome prince instantaneously. And so often we want God to do things to us. We want him to make us joyful, make us powerful, make us free. But the Holy Spirit rarely does things to us. He does things in us. And he requires our cooperation. It is his role to lead us to the truth, to open our eyes, to see the truth. But it's our choice to whether or not that truth is allowed to form and grow within us. And like myself, he is an expert gardener. He plants the right seeds. He knows what we need. But it is a process and we're a major part of it. We need to let the seedlings grow and watch them develop and eventually produce fruit. When we read something about the gift of God, about salvation, and we think, well, that's not really true for me. It's like we've been sowing cabbages and then we look at the first shoot that appears above the ground and we rip it out because it doesn't look like a cabbage. I think when we accept what the Bible says as being true and when we, even when all evidence seems to the contrary, when we meditate on his word and let it take a firm root in our lives, those seeds will grow to be a reality. A good vegetable garden doesn't happen accidentally, as I know. And we don't stumble accidentally into a healthy, mature and productive spiritual life. I'm reminded of those big challenging verses, and there's many of them. But, for example, to seek first the kingdom of God, to chase down the pearl of great price, to sell everything, to buy the field containing the hidden treasure of the kingdom, to count everything as rubbish, 
compared to knowing Jesus. This is serious stuff. But at the same time, I hear John 4.10 again suggesting that what we will find will turn our worlds upside down. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Let's pray. Father, what more can we do but come and ask you for that living water? Would you lift those of us who are weary, those of us who are stuck, and help us to have fresh vision of the wonderful things you've provided for us? Teach us how to walk in the freedom you bought for us. Guide us in our journey to know you in a fresh and a life-changing way. In Jesus' name. Amen.